If you can hear me, honk your horn. That's a good sign. So I guess we should want to be heard, uh, supposedly. Um, we are grateful that you have came out today for the uh, church service. Uh, the rain looked like it was going to split right over top of us, but right up to the time, it uh, it just barely did come upon us. So here we are in the middle of a storm, but the cool part is our sermon series is titled Sailing Through the Storms. So we will make a way where there seems to be no way and through the power of God in our lives. So Sailing Through the Storms, this is week two of our series. Um, we're so grateful to God for all that he's given us in our life. But through this series, we want to look at a few things. So Sailing Through the Storms in the Days of Jesus would equate to storm chasers in today's culture. Their profession is so counterculture that they are considered abnormal, and rightfully so. We all remember the movie Twister and how it just didn't seem wise to head into a storm, but their intent was and their calling was to make a difference in people's lives from that point forward. And they were willing to do what seemed to be impossible and do the things that God was calling them to do, even in that movie, I believe, in the Storm Chasers today. So we as Christ followers are charged to be abnormal or countercultural and go headlong into the sea when others stay on the shore. Jesus didn't come to continue status quo, he came to turn the world upside down. Just like he did to the tables in the temple. He was a risk taker. He was a thrill seeker. He was a challenger of normalcy. I think because he knew his reward was attached to moving to where he was led. We've often heard the term risk equals reward in business. But what if we apply those same thought processes to our Christianity? And what if we would look at God and say, I'm willing to risk the challenges of this life and the storms of this life for the reward that I know that will come if I will follow where you lead me. Amen. So let's go on this journey together and learn how to sail through the storms. So week one, last week, we talked about the dilemma and how that there is a dilemma in the midst of a storm. And as we look at Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41 as our text, when Jesus was teaching on the seashore in Galilee and he told his disciples to Let's go to the other side. And as they began on the journey of going to the other side in this story, he was asleep in the boat. He was taking it easy. They were raising sails. They were lowering sails. I'm sure that as you've seen so many sailors do on movies or maybe you've been someone that has uh, been on a sailboat, 
there's a lot of moving mechanisms and parts and pieces to make a boat work. And as they were doing all this work, Jesus was asleep. He laid down to take a nap. He was at ease with that he was going to get to the other side. He wasn't worried. He wasn't perplexed. He wasn't taken back. He was calm in the midst of the storm. And in, in your life, I assure you this, that when a storm comes, when panic sets in, that the devil will try to throw you off base. He will try to get you off course. And he'll try to cause you to look at the storm when you ought to be looking that Jesus is in the boat with me and I'm going to be at peace because he's at peace. Because he is my peace. He is my steadiness in the midst of this storm. And I'm going to be okay because Jesus is with me. The Bible says if God be for me, who can be against me? The enemy cannot trouble your soul if you have Jesus in your life and you're resting in him. So as we look at this story, Jesus is asleep. I'm just astounded by that. There's a dilemma for everybody else. Everybody else is taken back. They're perplexed. They don't know what's going on. They don't understand. But guess what? Jesus is here, and he's calm because he knows the answer. So as I look at this story, I love sailing through the storm. And what the world needs to see in the midst of these storms that we're facing with this pandemic and all these things that we're facing in this life. And it seems like the faster that this world goes, the easier it is to get panicked, the easier it is to get freaked out, the easier it is to say, I don't know, the easier it is to say, I don't understand. But in the midst of this, Christians, let's stand up and say, I know in whom I believed, and I trust him with my eternal future. Amen. And I'm not saying, don't take me wrong, I'm not saying, don't trust in the things that God has given us in wisdom. He's given us wisdom to understand these things. And we're outside today because we believe in wisdom. And if they tell us, the doctors and the scientists tell us that we should have social distance, these things, I'm not going to stand against those things because God gave us wisdom. And if you think this is something new I'm saying, go back and watch when the pandemic originally started here and I stood out here on this ground and said the same thing. We should not be panicked. And because we're going to take these initial steps to do the right thing doesn't mean we're acting in panic. It means that we are acting in wisdom that God has given us. So as I look at this story, I'm amazed because Jesus in the midst of this storm is sleeping. But as I look at this, and last week we talked about a dilemma, this week I want to talk about a promise. How many believes God has promised us some few things? Amen? I believe he's promised you some things. He's promised you eternal life. He's promised you rest. He's promised you peace. He's promised you all these things. And we need to trust in those promises. But a promise, I believe, requires self-discipline. That God gives us self-control. It's one of the gifts or the fruits of the Spirit that's listed in Galatians. That there is a promise of self-discipline, self-control. Amen. If there's somebody in the car with you, tell them to control their self. So if he's promised you eternal salvation, don't lose heart in the midst of the storm. 
Be disciplined in how you act as a Christian. Be disciplined in the midst of the storm to stand up for what is right. Be disciplined in the midst of the storm to do what God has called you to do. Don't turn around. Don't turn back. Don't go back. Because the Bible says that he that puts his hand to the plow is not fit for the kingdom if he turns back and looks back. Don't look into yesterday for your answers. Look into the right now because God is here. Look at tomorrow because he's going to be there. Look forward. Move forward. Challenge yourself to say, I'm going to be disciplined to do the promises of God. I'm going to act on these promises. I'm going to walk on these promises. I'm going to stand on these promises. That's what Jesus was doing when he was sleeping in the midst of that boat. He knew the promises of God. He was rest assured of what was going to take place. 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. God is not the author of fear. He's the author of our faith. Amen. He is the author of our faith. So he's telling us here that he's not giving us that spirit of fear, but that tells us also that there is a spirit of fear. Amen. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. So that means you can have a spirit of fear. You can go throughout this life being intimidated, being pressed down on every side, being pushed back. But guess what? If God be for us, who can be against us? We need to walk in that. Romans tells us that I'm perplexed on every side and all those things it tells us in Romans. But we need to understand that God is with us. So as I look back through the Old Testament again to think about these promises and how many others have been promised by God, these things that he had called them to do. I thought of Abram. In Genesis chapter 22, it says that Abram, he believed God. He trusted God. And God told him, take your son, go up on this hill, and you're going to sacrifice because I've called you to do so. And Abraham walks out in obedience to God, doing what he didn't know exactly what the outcome was, but he was going to do what God told him to do. And this may seem to you like nothing, but I promise you this, that in Abraham, this was a storm of his life. When God calls you to do the impossible, it is a storm in your life. And I want to sail through the storms where that God is calling me. Act in obedience to me. Listen to my word. Trust me. Obey. You will see the promises come true. So Abram, as he was walking up through there, and he took all his people with him. His son as well, and he, he's promised, you know, go up on this hill and perform this act. And as he's walking in, in his obedience to God's word and God's command, he didn't have a Bible to go by. He had the voice of God roaring in his heart. And as he was listening to the voice of God, the commands of God in real time, he took people with him. But the closer he got, he knew this was between him and God. He understood that God was the one that was calling him. And he don't need to take everybody with him. As he walks up this mountain, he gets to the base and he tells these people that he'd taken with him. You stand here. You stay here. I'm going up on the mountain with my son because God said so. And me and the lad shall return. 
When he said we shall return, he was speaking faith that God was well able to take care of this storm that I'm in, this act of faith that I'm in. I'm going to go, and my boy's coming back with me. He trusted God. How often do we have these storms in our life? Should we act in faith or should we act in fear? It's as simple as that. I know that sounds too easy. And I know that sounds too simple, but I assure you this, that God wants you to act in faith and not in fear. So another story that looking back through the Old Testament, because we're basing this story out of the New Testament, you can pull the Old Testament into the New Testament because it is a picture of what was to come, and this Old Testament is useful to us today. Don't do away with the Old Testament. Read it too. Read the New Testament. See how it gels together because God has a plan. God has a promise. So I'm using these Old Testament verses to assure you in the New Testament God has been doing this for a long time. All of humanity has promises from God. All of time, it has always been that God was present in help in a time of trouble. So the second part I want to look at is 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 29. This is King David, but he's just a ruddy, red-headed uh, uh, runt. He's the least among his brethren. He's the one that the father sent out to just care for the sheep when all the rest of the sons were in the midst of a battle. There's a war going on with her nation. And this dad didn't trust his youngest to be out amongst the warriors, so he sent him to herd the sheep. But he also told his son one time, this boy named David, he tells him, take this bread and go up with your brothers and share this bread with them. And as you go, I want you to return back to me and tell me the news of what's going on in the midst of the war. I don't know about you, but I've talked to veterans. I've talked to people that's been in war in the midst of the battles. And I can assure you this, that our war heroes that we uh, give honor to here on this, this uh, sacred soil that we're standing here today, our freedom is based upon them going and fighting for the freedom that we have to stand here and declare the goodness of God. You cannot do this around the world. There's churches in China today that have to go underground and they can't speak about the goodness of God because they're living in a world where they cannot do that. The government prevents them from doing so. I thank God for my freedom of religion. Don't you? It's not a freedom from religion. It's a freedom of religion. You get to choose in America whom you will serve. And as Joshua said, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve God. Amen. As me and the bridge, as for me and this church, we're going to serve the one true and living God that sent his son Jesus to die for us. But in the midst of the battle, it's like a storm in the midst of war. And sometimes these veterans, as you see them, you should honor them. If you see them sitting in a restaurant and sitting there eating, and they, maybe they've got a hat on that says World War II. Maybe they've got a hat on that says a prisoner of war. Maybe they've got a hat on that says a, a Korean conflict. Maybe they've got a hat on that says the Vietnam War. Go up, honor them. Tell them, thank them for their service, for our freedom that we have here today. And I'm not saying that this is a this our Christian faith that we have is an American faith. Because those people in China today that has to hunker in a basement 
and maybe four or five of them get together and they don't even have Bibles, some of those churches. How sad is it of a world that we live in where the enemy takes control and he prevents them from living out their faith. But even in the midst of that, where everybody says you can't, these people in China today are making a way where there seems to be no way because God is giving them and equipping them to be a church where there is no church. Thank God for our missionaries. Thank God for giving His Spirit to go throughout all the world and preach this good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. But David, as he goes up in the midst of this battle, in the midst of this war, he's standing there, and he got there just at the wrong time. Have you ever been somewhere that you felt like that you got there at the wrong time? Have you ever walked upon a situation where that you didn't see it coming and you didn't know what was happening and you're just too uh, oblivious to what reality really is and you walk up and you think, man, I'm glad to be here. Next thing you know, Goliath comes out on the other side of the mountain and he begins to scream and holler and cuss God. And David's standing there and he says these words, Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Everybody else, the whole army of Israel was standing on the mountain. They was afraid because it was a giant. In the midst of the storm, if you look at the, the reality of, of what's happening here in, in, in our life that we're living here on this earth, that you're not looking at it eternally, but you're looking at it temporarily, you're going to see a giant. You're going to see a storm. But if we look at the storm, if we look at that giant, and we say he's too big, who can conquer him? You got your eye on the wrong prize. We should have our eyes focused, laser focused on God. And as we look unto Him, the author and the finisher of our faith, He will attest to us and He will build us and He will uplift us. So David's standing there that day and he says, Is there not a cause? Nobody else in the crowd had looked at anything else other than the reality in front of them. How many of us or standing and wandering into a situation and we come upon it and we don't know how to take it and we don't know what to say and we don't know the words to give. What if we would say, when you maybe you walk up and your neighbors, you didn't even know it, but they were in the midst of a fight, a husband and a wife, and they're mad at each other and they're bickering and they're complaining and they're arguing and you walk up and it's an uncomfortable situation. What if you just say, is there not a cause? Does God not have a promise? Does God not have a plan? He instituted marriage. Amen. He, he is the one that ordained this. He's the one that gave Adam, Eve. God has ordained this ground that we have called marriage. Thank God for marriages. Amen. I'm grateful for my marriage today. I know Leslie's birthday was Friday, but thank God mine's coming tomorrow. Amen. We get to celebrate together. Husband and wife, birthdays together. It's awesome. Maybe you don't have that joy, but that way we both get presents three days apart. So as David says these words, is there not a cause? His brothers ridiculed him and mocked him and said, yes, there's a cause and the cause is in front of you and it's a giant. They was looking at the storm. 
And David said, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I shall go in the name of our Lord our God, and he will go with me, and God will fight my battles. How many in this crowd today knows that God will fight your battles if you'll give them to him? If you're in the boat, if you're standing there and you don't see your way out of this storm, look, because Jesus is sleeping. Wake him up and say, Do do you not care? He'll say, I absolutely care. I absolutely care for you. I have promises that I've given you. I assure you, I am there with you in the midst of the storm. Jesus is the answer to our storms. Jesus is the answer to our situations. And as we're here today looking at this, and I know that a promise takes self-discipline and self-control. Abraham had it. He disciplined himself to listen to the voice of God and follow his commands. David knew from seeing and experiencing God. God had allowed him one time with the sheep to kill a bear. One time, another time, God had allowed him to kill a lion with his bare hands. Can you imagine looking back through your life and seeing where God has brought you from and knowing that He's going to take you to a place called heaven and understanding this storm will not prevail. This storm will not last. Why? Because God has said so. Amen. You need discipline. You need that power of God in your life. A promise also brings contentment. There is a contentment that comes with promises. So a girl, maybe a young lady, and has lived her whole life, and I've done so many weddings in my life that it's just crazy. Now I wish that now that I looking backwards that I would have numbered them and kept them all down. And I've done funerals, and I've done so many funerals and so many weddings, and sometimes people will call me and I won't even know them, and they'll ask me, Preacher, will you come and marry us? I'll say, Absolutely, amen, because God has ordained marriage, and if He has set up a place for me to go and bring people in and allow them to be married, that's what I want to stand for. So I do that, and I, I, I hate to know how many I have performed marriages because it's an an institution that was brought about by God. But as I go to some weddings, some of them's bigger than the others, and you'll go to a wedding, and maybe it's, it's a great big huge wedding, and there's a lot of people around, and there's usually these little girls, and they're dancing around their little white dresses, and they're looking, and most of the time, you know, five, six, seven years old, four years old, something like that, and they carry the flowers up through there and throw them down and all this stuff. And these little girls are standing there in the midst of these pictures, and it's just a, a glorious day. And they look at that bride, and they look at her in all of her beauty. And as they stand there as little bitty girls, they begin to look and say, Someday I'm going to be married. And they long for that day. They look forward to that day. And it's a beautiful thing for me to get to stand there and see the awe and splendor of God because we are the bride of Christ. Amen. We are the bride of Christ as a church. Someday there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. There's going to be a marriage supper up in heaven when we get there. And it's going to be a beautiful thing. But these little girls, they look there and they know that someday that's going to be me. And then... 
along come John or along come Johnny or along come Matt or along come Bobby or along come somebody. This boy will come along, they'll see this beautiful little girl, and they'll begin to date, and they'll go out, and they'll eat, and they'll, they'll take them out and be real nice and all those things. Kind of like the way Leslie chased me. I've told you that story often. Amen. Followed me around everywhere, made me take her to eat. We ate Applebee's a lot. We ate Roadhouse a lot. She likes Fazoli's. I don't even like that place, but she wants to go there, so sometimes we go there. So as we do these things, and as we look at these little girls here, they understand someday that's going to be me. And they long for that day. And this is this little twerk of a boy and goofbag of a boy comes around, and the dad just don't know. I don't know if I trust that one. And they'll run that one off. And then another one will come along. Another little boy, they'll go to the school fair maybe or something like that. And the dad will say, ah, not that one. He'll pray, and maybe God will move him out of the way. Then eventually one will come along that meets the standards. And this little boy, he'll walk up to his father-in-law and ask him, may I have your daughter's hand? How beautiful of a thing is that whenever we allow that to happen? And that dad says yes. And then that boy, you know, goes out and gets a ring, and he takes it to that girl, and He'll put it on her, on, her, on her ring finger, and you know, it's a promise. Used to, it was just called being engaged. Now they've added another layer. Now you get a promise ring. So, girls, you got two stages to go through now. Somebody say amen. There's more than one stage now. We've complex things now. It used to be engagement. Now it's a promise ring. So, first it's a promise ring. Then it's an engagement ring. But that girl that gets that promise ring on her hand, she knows that there's a promise of a day coming where that he is saying, I am going to engage you at some point in the future. I promise you that. And then when he hands her the engagement ring, he is promising her someday and someday soon we are going to go stand in a chapel and we're going to give vows to each other before God and I'm going to marry you. There is a promise in that. And that girl, whenever she gets that promise, and she has those rings on her finger, she is content knowing the day is coming where it's going to happen. I don't have to worry anymore. I don't have to worry and be in fear anymore of will I ever be married, what's ever going to happen. They've got a promise. It's symbolic. When God promises us that whatever it is in our life, whatever plan He has for your life, and He tells you, this is where I'm going to take you, this is what I'm going to do for you, it's a promise. Are we content with what he has said he will do? Are we able to step back and say, yes, his promises will come to pass? So 1 Timothy, this is Paul the Apostle talking to his beloved son Timothy, and he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness means acting like God. Not that we think we are God, but we act like God should act. So a lot of us today will wear a bracelet around our arm that say, WWJD, what would Jesus do? That's godliness. You're acting like God would act. That's what we should do as Christians. Amen? And that's what Paul's telling Timothy, his beloved son, godliness with contentment, acting like God and being content with that, that I don't have second guesses, that I don't look back and say, I wish I would have, could have, would have, should have. 
but we're acting in faith and obedience to him and have contentment in it. For we brought nothing, this is Paul saying to Timothy, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. You got food, you got clothes, it's good enough. That's why Jesus was laying there. He had ate that day. He had clothes on his back. He was asleep in that boat because he was content with where he was at and who he was in God. Those who want to get rich and fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into the ruin and destruction. These is wise words from the Apostle Paul. Don't seek the riches of this world because they're all temporal. Heaven is laid with gold. It's not laid with blacktop. The streets there are gold. These riches of this world mean nothing in eternity. And you won't take any of it in there with you is what Paul's telling Timothy. Don't look at riches of all the people around and say, oh, i got to have that, i got to have that, i got to have that. Don't try to keep up with the Joneses. Be content with that what you have. Verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all kind of evil. Not money is, is evil, but the love of it. You can have a lot of money. And God wants to bless you. I'm not saying that God wants to curse you with poverty. God wants to bless you. In Psalms 23 it says, My cup runs over. Amen. God wants to bless you with a good job. He wants to bless you with a good occupation. But He doesn't want you to love the money so much that you forget Him. Love God more than money. Put Him first and see if He don't bless you. I assure you this, that I can say without a doubt that I walk in the favor of God. Why? Because I trust Him. I trust Him with my occupation. I've seen layoffs. I've seen times where my bank account gets low. But I'm not looking at those things. I'm looking at God. And as I look to Him, I know He's going to take care of me. I trust Him, don't you? How many out here today will trust Him with your futures? How many will trust Him with your right now? Amen. I trust God with all these things. Verse 11. But you, man of God, Paul speaking to his beloved son named Timothy, you, man of God, he's calling his son a man of God. I'm calling you out here in this crowd today as you're walking in the obedience of Christ and you're here today coming on a, on a Sunday morning where it's an outside service and you're sitting in a car and you're here listening to this across your radio. You're a man and a woman of God. I trust you and I promise you that the promises of God are true. Flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Paul's telling his son, do good things. Trust the promises of God. Rest in His salvation. Rest in His goodness. Rest in His mercy. Rest in the faith that He has given you. Rest in all that He has put into place in your hands. So as Paul is telling Timothy, be content with that which God has trusted you with. And trust Him. Just as Jesus trusted in this boat. He was asleeping when others were acting in fear. He was laying there in faith. You know why he's laying there in faith? Because he said before they went to the other side, he said, let us go to the other side. Jesus didn't say, hey, disciples, get in this boat, take me out in the middle of this water, and we're going to drown there. 
He said, take me out in this boat and we're going to the other side. Jesus was resting assured, I'm going over there. Amen. I know in whom I believed and I trust him with it and I believe that he'll keep it until the day that he accomplishes it. It's scripture. I promise you, God is taking you places. God is promising you things. God is allowing you today to listen to this message, to walk out and drive out of this place today knowing God is going with me. He's going before me. He prepares a way for me. I trust Him. His promises are true. I hope you believe that today with all of your being. The next chapter after the chapter that I just read, Paul continues on, and sometime later he writes back to Timothy. Not First Timothy, the first letter he wrote to him, but he writes back later. And this is Second Timothy chapter 1, so this is the next chapter of Paul talking to his beloved son. When you go out and ask somebody to come to back to church Sunday here in a few weeks, because they tell you no the first time, don't give up. Because they say, I don't believe in that, don't give up and say, well, I can't go there anymore. Amen. Go back, pray a lot, seek God a lot, find His scriptures, ask God for answers, and walk back up again and say, God has sent me once again. Amen. Paul went to Timothy a second time with this letter. And you need to be obedient and seek what God is desiring for you to do and who invites you to invite. And Tabby is asking you, please, seek out five people at least that you're going to get here on Back to Church Sunday. I can't wait to see what God is going to do for our church service that day and all the visitors that's going to be here. It's going to be a great day. And I can't wait for the chili cook-off and uh, the cakewalk and all the things that she's going to be bringing about to you. It's going to be awesome. There's a lot of people volunteering. We're going to have a lot set up here. It's going to be a fun day for the kids with games and all these things. But get ready, church. Jesus is going to meet a lot of people right down here where you're sitting right now. It's going to be an awesome day. I look forward to it. But the next chapter, I talked about this last week, that Job had chapters. He didn't stay within the chapter that he was in. He would move on to the next one. Don't stay in the same chapter all of your life. Move on with God. Trust Him. Listen to the promises of God. Abram had to be obedient in the moment. It wasn't a promise that he had yesterday. It's a promise he had right now. Go and do this deed. David, was he was acting in obedience to what God took him to do right then when, David, when Goliath was there. Be in the now. The God of yesterday was faithful, yes. But he's faithful in the now. And he'll be faithful in the tomorrow. So Paul tells Timothy in the next chapter. Everybody say the next chapter. The next chapter. For this reason I also suffer these things. Paul is telling him, I'm in prison. They have locked me up in Rome. These same people that killed Jesus a few years ago have me in a prison cell with shackles around my wrist. I'm in Rome. I'm in prison. But guess what Paul did? He didn't sit down in the molly grubs and say, I can't do nothing else. Rome has me now. He says, I'm going to pick up on parchment and I'm going to write some letters to my beloved son Timothy. He kept on doing good because he was promised by God. Keep the faith. In the midst of a storm, what are you going to do? You're going to give up? I won't. I'm not backing down. Amen. I'm not going backwards. 
I have not put my hand to this plow for 20 some years now to turn around and walk away from God. Amen. It doesn't matter if you've been with him a day or you've been with him a lifetime. He's faithful, church. Don't give up. Don't turn around. It breaks my heart when I see people that I know once knew him. In the midst of a storm, give up on God. Don't let that be you. And pray for them when you see them doing that. Ask God, let me be a blessing to them. Let me go to them, God. Give me an answer to say. Don't give up, church. Whatever you do, do not give up. God is faithful. And Paul says, for this reason, there is a cause that David talked about. For this reason, I also suffer these things. I've got storms, Paul's saying. Nevertheless, I'm not going to accept the less. Nevertheless means I'm not taking less. Amen? I want more. I want the goodness of God to be relevant in my life. Where that others look at me and say, wow, what has happened to him? He's walking on a new lease in life. And it's awesome to see. Last night I went to the races over at Willard and I was sitting there upon the bleachers and I was sitting with this elderly gentleman and he was sitting there and he talked and he talked and he talked and he talked and he talked. I, didn't, I couldn't get a word in edgewise. And I'm talking about for an hour probably, at least. And I was sitting there and as he was talking, I began to pray, God, give me a chance to witness. Give me a chance to witness. This elderly gentleman, he, he was up in years. I don't know how old, but he was, he was more gray-headed than me. I'll say it that way. Kept talking, kept talking, kept talking. He said, well, you know, after this race, I think I'll get on out of here. i got about two and a half hours to drive tonight. And he said, and this was like 1 o'clock in the morning. He said, i got to get out of here. i got two and a half hours to drive. And, you know, i got to get up early and go to church in the morning. I said, well, that's awesome. He said, man, I love the church. I said, I do too. I was allowed to witness to him, but he had already been saved. He said, you know what? About a month and a half ago, I went to a church service because a bunch of guys I was working with, they used to witness to me. And he said, I walked into that church building that morning. He said, that pastor preached, and he gave an altar call, and I stumbled up through that aisle, and I knelt down at that altar. And those guys that I worked with for years, they swarm around me, and they begin to pray with me. And he said, about a month and a half ago, I got saved, and I got baptized into the church, and I'm grateful for the goodness of God. Amen. How good is God, people? How good is it that we know this Savior of the universe. And he looked at me and he said, there's no greater feeling I've ever felt in my life than to get up and pray. And he says, you know, I can drive down the road and I'll pray. And I pray for my friends and I pray for my family and I pray for those that I'm around. I want to be a light for him. And as he said these words, it's true. I don't know what storms that guy was facing, but usually people come to Christ in the midst of a storm. I don't know about you, but I was walking in the midst of hell when I come to Jesus. I didn't come to him with all the answers. I come to him with a lot of problems. He's the one with the answer. I didn't have the answers. He had the answer. I had problems. Paul's saying, nevertheless, I'm not going to choose less. I'm going to choose more. What is your choice today? You've got to choose this day whom you will serve. It's your choice. He said, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know him 
whom I believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. His promises, it says here in Corinthians, is yes, and his promises are amen. So when you say amen, what does that mean? You can look it up. And the dictionary describes it as in so be it. So when I say walk in faith and you say amen, you're saying so be it. Let my life be that. When you amen a, a sermon, you're amening saying let that be in my life. So as you're sitting here today, you've got a choice to make. Will you serve God or will you serve mammon? Jesus said serve God. It's the better place to be if you've got a problem today maybe you're going through a storm maybe you've got issues happening in your life and you pulled in here today thinking I don't know I don't know what I I, I can't see my way out of this and it's, it's raging over me have faith in God rest in Him Jesus is in the boat with you He's promised you that He will go with you till the end He said I will never leave you I will never forsake you I will go with you till the end. He didn't say I'll go with you till the middle of the ocean and I'll let the boat go down and I'll swim over to the shore myself. He said let us go to the other side. And I'm asking you today, are you going to go with him or are you going to die in the middle of the ocean? Don't die, live. Amen. It's 11:27 and I'm finished. Amen. So be it. So my altar call today is this. Are you sailing through the storms? Or are you trying to work your way through the storms? Let the wind of God push you where He takes you. Even if it lands me in a prison cell like Paul, I still want to be obedient to God and write the messages that He has given me to write. Amen? I want to trust Him. Sail through the storms. Are you sailing through the storms? Or are you screaming and panicking in the midst of the storm? Let the words of my mouth be well-pleasing to God. What are you saying today? When God promises you, I'll be with you. What are you saying today? In the midst of that storm, Rise up, church, and saying God is well able to accomplish the things that he has set out for me to do. And yes, the whole world may look and say, this is a storm, and I don't see how Ben's going to get through this, or I don't see how Rick's going to get through this, or I don't see how Ryan's going to get through this, or I don't see how Joe Don's going to get through this, or I don't see how Bonnie's going to get through this. Let them laugh and mock the way they did to David if he's promised you he'll be faithful I assure you that he will be faithful to you follow his direction have you trusted him with your eternity if you've never done that you should do that at this moment is he in charge of your life is what I'm asking you Last weekend, four people sat in this building and they raised their hand to say, 
I want to accept Jesus as Lord of my life. I want His plan. I want His destiny. I want to go in eternity knowing and trusting that God is with me. If you would, please bow your head and close your eyes. And I want everybody here to repeat this prayer with me. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I'm asking you to forgive me of my faults, of my failures, of my sins, of my shortcomings, of my fear. God, I'm offering all this to you because I know you have the answers. And God, I know you have the plan. And God, I know that you're trustworthy. God, help me to be obedient as Abram was. Help me to be obedient as David was. Help me to be obedient as the Apostle Paul was. Help me to be obedient the way Timothy was. Let me walk in your goodness and let my heart rejoice for all the goodness that you've proven to me. Take me to heaven to live with you forever in eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.